Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2012. Titled, Growing in Christ, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. An Introduction to the Quarters Lessons Our author this quarter is Kwabina Donkor, a native of Ghana, and he is an Associate Director of the Biblical Research Institute at the General Conference Headquarters in Silver Spring, Maryland. The introduction begins as follows. Everyone believes in something. Even those who claim to believe in nothing, or in nothing absolute, still believe in something, in this case, their relativism. Beliefs are important because they greatly impact how we live. For some Christians, however, more important than belief or behaviour is belonging, a sense of community. Yet, community must be based on shared beliefs, shared goals and common concerns. For Seventh-day Adventists, people from almost every conceivable manifestation of humanity, what holds us together as a community are our fundamental beliefs, all 28, which are foundational for growing in Christ and living as a community of faith in the light of eternity. Some argue that what matters is our love of Christ, not doctrine. This sounds nice, but the Bible never separates a love for Christ from a love for the truth. We're told that by speaking the truth in love, we may grow into Christ, Ephesians 4.15 and 16. Knowing doctrine is not merely accumulating correct data, rather knowing doctrine results in love for God. Furthermore, the Bible is concerned about sound doctrine because, among other things, it affects the ethical life. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has a statement of 28 fundamental beliefs. These are not a creed, in the sense that one could not expect any further development of the truths expressed in them, or that even more teachings could be added. And, though we must always be open to more light, a firm consensus on these beliefs is crucial to the unity and mission of the Church. What has brought together millions of people from all over the world into a unified movement other than our shared doctrines. This quarter, then, we're going to focus on some of those teachings. Though we believe that all 28 are foundational and fundamental to our identity as Seventh-day Adventists, we cannot study them all in one quarter. But we do hope to present a systematic and coherent guide to some of these beliefs. Special attention will be given to belief number 11, Growing in Christ, accepted by the General Conference Session in St. Louis, Missouri in 2005. That will be Lessons 5-7. to seven. This belief in and of itself didn't add new or previously unknown teachings. Rather, in response to needs in certain parts of the world, it helped to clarify the Church's understanding of God's power to give believers in Christ victory over the forces of evil. In fact, all the lessons this quarter will be framed within the context of the struggle between Christ and those forces of evil. It's what we call the Great Controversy. Within the great controversy motif, and directly related to it, salvation in Christ is the thread that runs through all our doctrines. The great controversy and the issues it has generated sets the stage for the plan of redemption which underlies and permeates all 28 of our fundamental beliefs. 
Doctrines then are not an end in and of themselves. They are a means to an end, and that end is Jesus, knowing Jesus for ourselves and growing in him. Or, more subjectively, all 28 of our doctrines should lead us to a deeper understanding of what Jesus has done for us through the plan of salvation, which in turn should lead us to a deeper love of God and to a life more committed to revealing that love not only to the world, but also to principalities and powers in heavenly places, as it says in Ephesians 3.10. Yes, everyone believes in something. The goal of the quarter is to help us to not just believe in truth, but to love him even more and to grow in his grace. Lesson 1, September 29 to October 5, The Great Controversy, The Foundation. It's Sabbath afternoon. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we commence this whole new series of studies about the foundational doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which are the foundational doctrines of the Bible, we want to ask you to be with us through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus gave. And we thank you as part of the Trinity that each of us can have a knowledge of you and of the salvation that is offered. Bless us now as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lesson 1, The Great Controversy, The Foundation. Our memory text is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's read that again, Genesis 3, 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the key thought this week is, the great controversy motif is the overarching concept that gives cohesion to Seventh-day Adventist fundamental beliefs. Necessity, it has been said, is the mother of invention. The word mother in this case means the source, the driving force and the foundation. In other words, it's the need, the necessity for something that moves people to action. For instance, the need for Cleaner air is the foundation, the driving force behind the move for energy sources other than fossil fuels. Just as with physical inventions, a belief system also needs a foundation or a principle that explains it. Seventh-day Adventists profess a body of 28 fundamental beliefs. These beliefs have a foundation in a concept that we call the Great Controversy. Each of the 28 fundamentals deals with a particular aspect of this cosmic controversy. The beliefs that will be studied this quarter make the best sense against the backdrop of the great controversy motif. This week, we will look at some of the key points of this foundation.
Sunday, September 30, The Controversy and Its Players All throughout recorded history, people have sensed that humanity is in some sort of a battle, a war, a struggle between competing forces. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote, In all of my years, one thing does not change. However you guise it, this thing does not change. The perpetual struggle of good and evil. And that's from the complete poems and plays, page 98. However common that understanding, people have radically different views regarding what the conflict is about, who's involved, what's at stake, and how it is going to end. As Seventh-day Adventists, however, we have a decidedly supernaturalistic perspective regarding this battle, a perspective that comes from our understanding of the Bible and how the Bible depicts what we call the great controversy between Christ and Satan. Question. Study Genesis 3.15 and Revelation 12.1-17. Who are the key players in the controversy? While symbols are sometimes used to depict the players, why do we believe that the powers described here are real, literal beings? What would happen to our whole belief system were we to spiritualize away the reality of the great controversy between Christ and Satan and our role in it? Genesis 3.15 And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 17. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labour and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. 
Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is not unusual for people to use terms such as the devil, angels, or even God when they mean something very different from the meaning usually attached to those words. For example, there are some whose interest in the use of the word God focuses only on the function that the word performs in human language and society. They have no interest in whether God in any form exists. Whatever the symbols used to describe them, the Bible teaches that these figures are real entities engaged in a real conflict. That's how we as Seventh-day Adventists understand them. Most of the doctrines studied this quarter will not make sense if the players identified in the controversy are not taken literally, which often puts us decidedly at odds with the prevailing culture. In fact, while secularism has taken many shapes and forms over the last two centuries, nothing characterizes secularism more than the push to eliminate all otherworldly language from human discourse. With the success of science, people in some cultures are more and more inclined to think about issues scientifically. Angels and demons do not fare well in the scientific mode of thinking. Hence, contemporary culture is witnessing a gradual demise of belief in the supernatural. So to finish today, how strongly impacted is your own culture by the scientific secular worldview? How much have you been impacted by it? Against what aspects of this worldview must we particularly guard? October 1, Lucifer's Fall Although the Bible does not explicitly tell us the issues involved in the controversy between God and Satan, they can be inferred from some pertinent scriptural passages such as Isaiah 14 verses 4 to 21 and Ezekiel 28, 12 to 19. In their original settings, these passages represented pagan kings of Tyre and Babylon, but when read carefully, they provide details that go beyond these ancient Near Eastern rulers. Indeed, they point to the origin, position and fall of Satan. Question. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, Paul warns against ordaining a new convert, cautioning that such an act might cause the person to become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. How does Paul's statement throw light on the two passages above? In what way do these three passages together help us to understand some issues in the controversy?
Well, first we'll look at 1 Timothy 3, 6, and then we'll go to the other two passages. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Then let's go to Isaiah chapter 4, or chapter 14, and verses 4 to 21. And that reads, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How the oppressed has ceased, the golden king ceased. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He has struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He has ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted, and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath is excited about you to stir you at your coming it stirs up the dead for you all the chief ones of the earth it is raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations they all shall speak and say to you have you also come as weak as we have you become like us your pomp is brought down to sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depth of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who will not open the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit, like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land you, and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children, because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities." And Ezekiel chapter 28 and verses 12 to 19. And that reads, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Edom, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You 
walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created, till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquities of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. I devoured you and I turned you to ashes from the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the people are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Let's read First Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 again. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. At least three issues are raised in the text cited above. Pride, autonomy and independence. The Old Testament portrayed a created dependent being aspiring to be self-sufficient and independent. But independence is always independence from something or somebody. 1 John 3.8 says that the devil has sinned from the beginning. 1 John 3.4 defines sin as lawlessness. It follows then that Satan's sin, which manifested itself as a quest for independence and autonomy, represented a desire to be free from the restraints of God and his laws. Thus, by refusing to allow himself to be brought under the autonomy of God's law, Satan showed that he wanted to live under a different set of conditions. This rebellion would also imply that the system of laws in heaven was not ideal, that something was indeed wrong with it. But because God's law is a reflection of God's character, a defect in the law would amount to a defect in God's character. In short, Satan's rebellion was as much against God himself as it was against anything else. And so to finish today, pride, autonomy, independence, what images do these words conjure up in your own mind? In what ways are any of us in danger of falling into the traps which are sometimes very subtle that pride, autonomy and independence can set for us? After all, under the right conditions... What's wrong with any of these concepts? Tuesday, October 2, God's Weapon Genesis 3.15 reads... And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Question. In what way is the great controversy revealed in this text? The cryptic language of Genesis 3.15, in which the controversy is here predicted, gives us a hint of God's rules of engagement in this conflict. We can see that the conflict, which has just begun on earth between the serpent and the woman, was going to take shape by involving the followers of the initial contestants. The seed of the woman 
and the seed of the serpent. In due course, as we know, the conflict would climax into a mortal clash between Satan and a male descendant of the woman, Jesus of Nazareth. God's weapon of choice was Jesus, who would come to fight on behalf of the woman, suffer bruises, but ultimately deliver a deadly blow to the serpent. To be the weapon of choice was an act of sacrifice by Jesus, an act of selfless love. Question. How do the following texts help us to understand some of the issues involved in the great controversy? And how is the plan of salvation central to it? First of all, compare Genesis 4.4 with Hebrews 11.4. Genesis 4.4 Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And we compare that with Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. And the next group is Genesis 12, 3 and Genesis 22:18, and comparing that with Galatians 3:16. Well, first of all, Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Genesis 22, and verse 18. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And we compare that with Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And our next group to compare is Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8. And we compare that with Hebrews 4.2. Exodus 25 and verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And we'll compare that with Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. And that reads, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, our next couple to compare are Isaiah 53, 6 and Romans 5 verse 8. Firstly, Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we'll compare that with Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. For God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And our next group are Matthew 16, verses 18, and chapter 18, verses 16 to 20. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And then, just over the next page, to Matthew 18, verses 16 to 20. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. 
And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And our final one is Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who was seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not man. Wednesday, October 3, Satan's Fight If you look carefully at yesterday's study, you would have seen a progression of how God manifested himself and his truth in the midst of the great controversy. God worked through the patriarchal and Israelite sanctuary services, through Christ's sacrificial atoning death, through the church, and through Christ's own ministry in the heavenly sanctuary. Satan, however, has worked tirelessly to try to undermine the Lord's plans. So much of the great controversy has been and is now fought out over these very issues. For instance, the sacrificial system practiced by the patriarchs and in Israel's sanctuary service was designed by God to remind humankind of the Creator and to keep the hope of redemption alive. Question. How did Satan seek to usurp and destroy the truth about the plan of salvation, especially as revealed in the sacrificial system? Well, we'll look at several verses. The first is Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 28. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonour their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed for ever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And we compare that with Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 17 and 18. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. 
to new gods, new arrivals that your father did not fear, of the rock who begot you. You are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. Of course, the incarnation of Christ, his ministry on earth and his atoning sacrificial death on the cross were the central parts of how God chose to defeat Satan in the great controversy. The death of Christ would guarantee the undoing of Satan, who would work tirelessly against him. Question. What do these texts tell us about the way in which Satan worked against Jesus? Well, they're all in Matthew, and we start with Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 to 18. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. And then Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And then in chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offence to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And finally, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 to 42, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. After his death and resurrection, Christ established his church on earth to proclaim to lost humanity the good news of salvation. From the inception of the church, Satan was determined to weaken and destroy it. The following passages show some of Satan's tactics against the church. First of all, we look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. And that reads, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And we'll also look at Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And then Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled 
either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And then finally, Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, the book of Hebrews tells of a real sanctuary in heaven where Christ entered after his ascension in Hebrews 4 and 9 performing a priestly function on behalf of sinful humanity in Hebrews 7. In Daniel 8, verses 11 to 14, we can see Satan's activity in connection with Christ's priestly ministry in the heavenly sanctuary and his attempt to usurp that ministry. So, to finish today, it's one thing to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 and have an intellectual understanding of its warning. It's another to actually live out that warning in your daily life. How do you, in fact, resist the devil? How often during a single day are you aware of Satan's efforts against you? First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 reads, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Thursday, October 4, Destinies Joshua 24 verse 15 reads, And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, 
We will serve the Lord. Question. How does this text reveal what is, in many ways, the most foundational issue in the Great Controversy? Prophecy provides us with a view of the closing scenes of the conflict between God and Satan. For a period of 1,260 years, as expressed in Daniel 7, Daniel 12, Revelation 11, Revelation 12 and Revelation 13, Satan sporadically but persistently persecuted God's people. In a final showdown, described in Revelation 12 and 13, Satan will employ two earthly powers, a leopard-like beast, Revelation 13, 1-10, and a two-horned beast, Revelation 13, 11-17. These beasts will employ all the tactics of Satan that were discussed in yesterday's lesson. Revelation 14 is a description of the counter-move to Satan's manoeuvres that God will use during the final stages in the struggle in order to bring the struggle to an end. What does Revelation 14, 6-13 tell us about the ways in which some of the issues in the great controversy are going to be made manifest? Beginning at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any one worships the beast and his image and receives his mark in his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours, and their works follow them. From God's perspective, a clear proclamation of the issues involved in the conflict represented here as being sent by three angels is necessary before the conflict comes to a close. Humanity needs to be intelligently informed in order for people to make up their minds about the issues. In the final conflict, there will be people who stand loyal to God. In Revelation 14, they are symbolized by the number 144,000, possibly representative of an innumerable people from all the nations of the earth. But they remain obedient to the commandments of God in a time of great distress and are wholeheartedly devoted to the worship of their Creator God. They receive the approval of God and are victorious with Him while the impenitent are destroyed in the ensuing harvest. The point is that one day this great controversy will be over. So to finish today, one thing about the great controversy, no one can be neutral. You're either on one side or the other. 
anyone can claim to be on the Lord's side, as in John 16 verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. How do you know for sure that you really are? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Friday, October 5. The Bible is its own expositor. Scripture is to be compared with Scripture. The student should learn to view the Word as a whole and to see the relation of its parts. He should gain a knowledge of its grand central theme, of God's original purpose for the world, of the rise of the great controversy and of the work of redemption. He should understand the nature of the two principles that are contending for supremacy and should learn to trace their working through the records of history and prophecy to the great consummation. He should see how this controversy enters into every phase of human experience, how in every act of life he himself reveals the one or the other of the two antagonistic motives, and how, whether he will or not, he is even now deciding upon which side of the controversy he will be found. A quote from Education, page 190. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. One, in the quotation from the book Education given above, Ellen White writes that the great controversy enters into every phase of human experience. How true has this been in your own experience? Has your understanding of the great controversy motive been a source of strength or frustration as you cope with the issues of daily living in the world of sin and suffering? Two, some speak about a delay in the second coming of Christ. With the amount of injustice and senseless suffering in the world, it seems that every additional day of life on earth is one too many. Have the class members share their individual perspectives regarding the great controversy motif from the point of view of the so-called delay? 3. How confident can we be about the final resolution of the conflict between good and evil? What gives you assurance that evil will be overcome in the end? What reasons do we have for believing that? How, for instance, does the prophecy of Daniel 2 help to give us assurance about the ultimate outcome? And four, in class, go over your answers to the final question on Thursday. The answer is especially relevant because of our understanding of just who the persecutors are going to be in the last days. How, then, can we be sure we will be on the right side? And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for today. Inside Story, following the sinners. Gustav read the notice of evangelistic meetings in his town in Burundi. He had heard about Seventh-day Adventists. He had heard that they are sinners because they worked in their gardens on Sunday. But Gustav decided to attend the meetings anyway. He hoped to learn something new about God. The messages touched his heart. Gustav attended the meetings when they didn't conflict with school. 
By the end of the second week, Gustav had many questions. He asked the church elder to study the Bible with him. Before long, Gustav was convinced that Seventh-day Adventists were not sinning when they worked on Sunday. They were keeping the Bible Sabbath. He asked to join the Seventh-day Adventist church. Gustav stopped attending classes on Saturday and went to church instead. One of his teachers warned him that if he continued to miss classes, he would be expelled. When Gustav's parents learned about it, they were upset. Please allow me to worship God as he leads me, Gustav pleaded. Gustav tried to explain his faith to the school principal too, hoping that he would excuse Gustav from classes. But the principal accused him of being a bad influence on other students. Unsure of what else to do, Gustav returned to school on Sabbaths, but he spent his time reading the Bible instead of studying. The next year, Gustav enrolled in a Christian high school and was the only Seventh-day Adventist in the school. Although the school didn't hold classes on Saturday, they did hold mandatory religious classes that day. Gustav quickly became the leader of his chosen group. He shared his faith with the young people in the study group, and several wanted to know more about what he believed. He studied the Bible with them, but one by one they dropped out when their parents warned them about Seventh-day Adventists. After Gustav completed high school, his parents urged him to get a job. Most jobs required Sabbath work, and Gustav refused. His parents refused to support him if he didn't work. After many months, he found work with Adra. Gustav shares his faith with others and explains that Seventh-day Adventists aren't sinners because they work on Sunday. They're sinners saved by God's grace who seek follow Jesus' example of obedience. Your mission offerings help to support evangelism in Burundi and around the world. Thank you for giving so that others can learn God's will for their lives. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.